This is The Camp with Zach Heilprin and the Athletics' Jesse Temple. Yes, welcome into The Camp. I'm Zach Heilprin. He is The Athletics' Jesse Temple, also New York Times-published journalist Jesse Temple. Congratulations on that. Thanks. It was a surprise. Uh, all I had to do apparently was not write about football, and uh, they put a <laughs> they put a Badgers basketball story in that I wrote last week in the New York Times, which was unbeknownst to me until it was already in there. But pretty cool to see my name in the sports section yesterday. That is very awesome. Very awesome. Congratulations on that. Uh, you did though write some football stories though as well. Uh, caught up with Owen Stribig, the offensive lineman from Catholic Memorial. Talk about his recruitment, number one player in the state in the 2025 class. We're also going to maybe hit on some storylines here that's going to dominate spring practice. Uh, There are quite a few and quite a few questions that remain, and um, we'll try and hit on a few more things here as we go throughout the hour. Again, we're going to be back at Monks in Sun Prairie tomorrow night for Temple and Heilprin, and uh, excited about that. Come out and see us. Talk a little basketball. Obviously, things didn't go their way at Penn State on Tuesday night. We'll talk about that, talk about football stuff as well. So going to be there from 6 to 7. You can stop by. If you can't do that, you can listen on the Zone, 96.7 FM and 1670 AM in Madison, uh, or find the podcast afterwards. Or you can also listen on the website, uh, madcitysportszone.com. So, all right, let's get into this. Owen Strebing, he uh, is the number one player, as I said, in the state offensive tackle from Catholic Memorial very highly sought after kid um Notre Dame certainly feels like the team to beat but Wisconsin with their new offensive line coach and AJ Blazik is attempting to put up a fight here Jesse uh, I know he had a chance to catch up with his high school coach and, and and him as well to discuss where his recruitment stands yeah this is an interesting one because for years and years Wisconsin has done its best to land the best players in the state. That's what the foundation of the program was built on under Barry Alvarez. And you think, oh, it's a number one ranked offensive tackle who's out there in Waukesha 75 minutes away. Wisconsin's just automatically going to get him. I think part of this to me speaks to how the landscape has changed a bit. That's not to say it still doesn't matter to Wisconsin and this new staff. It very much does. But you've got offensive line coaches who have been at Wisconsin that are not too far away. Joe Rudolph, obviously, at Notre Dame, Bob Bostead at Indiana, and you've got recruiters who are evaluating these prospects earlier. So all that is to say, this has never been a slam dunk for Wisconsin, and in fact, the Badgers have trailed in this recruitment probably for most of the time. Notre Dame's been the clear-cut frontrunner, and and I thought one of the most interesting quotes, I had a chance to talk to Owen as well as Catholic Memorial's athletic director, Matt Bergen, who has been the special teams coach there for 19 years and also serves really as the point person for all recruiting that goes on at the school. Bergen said, honest to God, I didn't even think he'd visit Wisconsin again until they made the change with the offensive line position. And I think it sparked a little bit of an interest. He said, I thought it was going to be a done deal that he'd go to Notre Dame. Now it looks as though he's still considering Wisconsin. And that's certainly the the feel that I got from talking to Owen. I look, you and I have not had a chance to talk to or meet AJ Blazek. It's happened fairly recently with him coming over from Vanderbilt. But it certainly does seem like, based on the interaction that he had when Owen was up here on Saturday for Junior Day, that made a huge difference and really impacted Owen as he goes through this thought process. I'm not saying it's going to change his ultimate decision, but but he said that that has forced him a bit to reevaluate things and probably extend the timeline at least a little bit. He wants to make his decision before his senior season starts, but he's got a planned visit for this weekend to Notre Dame. And what's interesting is 
Notre Dame coach Marcus Freeman and Joe Rudolph are supposed to come to Catholic Memorial on Friday. And then Saturday, Owen and his family are going to go to Notre Dame for a sixth visit to South Bend. But I think he wants to see what kind of relationship he can develop with Blazek and how Wisconsin can potentially use him. So at least Wisconsin is giving itself a fighting chance. They may That may not make Badgers fans feel better because I think a lot of people just say, well, you have to get these guys. What's wrong? Something's something's clearly wrong with the recruiting process. And uh, I just don't think that's kind of how it automatically is with the top-ranked guys anymore. So it's a fascinating recruitment to watch, especially when you consider this is coming off the heels of Nathan Roy, the number one ranked in-state player in 2024, signing with Minnesota. And that was the first time the top-rated in-state player signed elsewhere since 2016. Again, every story is unique to that kid, but it's something that uh, is sort of changing here in the state in terms of where the top-ranked kids end up going. Yeah, it is. And it, again, it is not a home... It's not a it's not an easy sell or not a, even easy uh, get anymore. And it look, if we're being fair about it, 30 years ago, 30 plus 30 plus years ago, when Barry Alvarez first showed up, all the top ranked guys were not staying in state. They were going they were going elsewhere. He did a great job of putting up the fence, putting up the wall, whatever you want to call it around Wisconsin and keeping the best guys home. And uh, for the most part of the last 30 years, they've done that. And in the last few years that hasn't been the case they've been able to supplement it by going out especially in this 2024 class going out and getting some of the higher ranked kids in other places in the country specifically pennsylvania um you know with kevin haywood and and, and the likes of those type of guys but the, the thing that they have to overcome here jesse and you you mentioned in your story joe rudolph has known this kid for how long yes he, right like AJ Blazek is coming in here and being asked to make up a relationship and, and build a relationship with the kid that he's known for how long, right? The, the, the difference between the two, I mean, he, Joe Rudolph was the first guy to visit Catholic Memorial and, and, and meeting, um, Owen Strebig. Blazek probably met him for the first time on, uh, this past weekend. So you're asking, I think a, a hell of a lot of Blazek to come in here and, and be able to build a relationship that quickly and it uh, again, we'll see how it plays out. But I think that's asking a hell of a lot. Oh, I do, too. Um, and I'm not going to sit here and make excuses for the program. Like, look, if you want to. Yes, you can go get and they've shown in 2024, like you talked about. They can get offensive linemen from anywhere. They just did. They only had one in-state kid in 2024. The rest were New York, two from Pennsylvania, Emerson, Mandel from Minnesota. But you still want to be built around getting the best talent from the state. Um, so I'm not making an excuse for Wisconsin. This is one that the Badgers, it feels like should be closer somehow, but it, it is incredibly difficult to overcome the relationship that Owen and Joe Rudolph have. And it's something that uh, his AD said, like he's got the best relationship with Rudolph out of any recruiter. And that makes sense because Rudy was the coach here in 2021 when Owen said like, he was the first guy to, to talk to me. <laughs> I've known yeah. him for so long. We have such a good relationship. My parents have a good relationship with him. And I, I mean, when Joe was here, I, I thought he was, a really strong recruiter and oh, yeah. that's not, that's not going to change at Notre Dame. And, and it's one of the single, if you're just looking at individual assistant coaches who are the single biggest threat to what Wisconsin wants to do in my, it's gotta be Joe Rudolph just because, okay, he knows Wisconsin better than the coaches who are actually here. He's had success recruiting offensive linemen across the Midwest. Obviously he's got East coast ties as well, but now he's at Notre Dame, which unlike Virginia tech, and I think this is worth mentioning, too, and I put it in the story, like 
if you're a high level offensive lineman in particular, and you want to go to the NFL, that is a selling point for Wisconsin, but that's a selling point for Notre Dame. And I don't think you can say that either school has like Wisconsin doesn't have a distinct advantage on that. If you go back to 2015, that draft NFL draft, both schools have sent eight players have been drafted. And and this year, so Tanner Bordellini declared early from Wisconsin, but Joe Alt and Blake Fisher did the same for Notre Dame. And Joe Alt's probably a top 15 pick. So he has a lot to sell there and his knowledge and understanding of this area, I think makes it even more challenging. So there are a lot of reasons why to me, it's as hard as ever for Wisconsin to land the best players in the state of Wisconsin. Uh, that doesn't mean that uh, they still shouldn't be able to have success there. It just makes it more challenging. For sure. Going back to that quote that you that you gave us that you shared about he didn't think he'd visit Wisconsin again until they made a change with the offensive line position. What went wrong? Yeah, with Jack Bicknell. What went wrong? So wrong that you know we've you've talked to guys, right? You've mm-hmm. we both know that there was some players not overly happy with what with how Jack Bicknell uh, coached them, but the fact that this is also going to the recruiting side of things, it's certain. I mean, it, it, it's hard not to, it's hard to ignore. Yeah. Well, that, that recruiting aspect is more speculation, at least on my part, because I don't have someone saying, here's why I wasn't interested in going because of Jack Bicknell. I mean, I certainly asked uh, the athletic director at Catholic Mer- Memorial, like, well, why wasn't he interested in Wisconsin before? And he's just, said he really didn't want to get into that and it would be considered speculation on his part. And he gave a lot of credit to Luke Fickle and the job that he's been doing. But I I can't, I can't speak to that. And the other thing is, I mean, they had success recruiting in 2024. So like, that's the other thing. I mean, yeah. Jack Bicknell has ties to the East coast, obviously Colin Hitchler does too. So I don't want to sit here and say, recruiting somehow fell off a cliff because Jack Bicknell Jr. was there. I, I think they actually had tremendous success. They got five offensive linemen, one from New York, two from Pennsylvania, like I said. So Bicknell certainly had a role in that. I can really only speak more to the the coaching aspect within the team. And and like you and I have discussed um, on Temple and Heilprin and perhaps on the camp as well, I know that the players who were there were less than thrilled about what they believed to be a lack of attention to detail and and coaching of the fundamentals that they felt like they perhaps had previously. And look, it's not like whatever the coaching techniques were before made these guys all Americans. Wisconsin's offensive line hasn't been dominant in the way that people think they should be for a long, long time. But when you've got guys who have, you know, been been familiar with this program and, and they want something more, I think that does matter. So yeah, it's uh either way where we're at now is AJ Blazek is here and early returns seem to be that, People are pretty optimistic about what he can provide. Certainly has a lot of praise from people who are familiar with him at Vanderbilt. And at least Owen Strebig's initial impression is a step in the right direction. I'm certainly interested to have an opportunity to talk to him and learn more about his story. Well, that was going to be my next question was what what kind of hire do you think uh, Blasek is for Wisconsin? Obviously, being at Vanderbilt, you're kind of playing with one arm tied behind Mm -hmm. your back, right? When you're playing against the talent that is at the SEC, he's had experience coaching at three different levels uh, of college football. So he's got a ton of experience. He played at a high level uh, at Iowa in the late nineties, played center for them was an all big 10 center, but I, you know, the success and I guess, you know, North Dakota state, obviously ton of success there in terms of what the team was able to do, but the success at the division one level specifically, 
in the FBS isn't necessarily there. So what is Wisconsin getting in A.J. Blasovic? Well, again, the only real person I've had a chance to talk to about him is Owen, who met him for the first time on Saturday. And I, I mean, that. I'll, so I think it's noteworthy what he said, because th that guy, Owen Strievick, has talked to dozens and dozens of offensive line coaches at this time. He's visited dozens of schools. And, and he said that he likes how upbeat he is, says the kind of person you want to be around. And the thing that struck me is he said he has a really unique way of going at coaching, and it's a way that Owen feels like can help him get developed. He talked about how he's much more involved with players and what the plan looks like for them to exceed, I guess, excel than what he'd seen before. He talked about how um, Blazik has these individual plans like meal, meal plans, lifting, drill work. And Owen said, I haven't really seen an O-line coach do all of that. I've seen different parts of the football program be responsible for that, but not the coach. So again, that's just one tiny sample size, but I thought it was at least interesting that there is an individual plan of attack for each player. I don't know what his coaching philosophy is. I don't know what he's like as a coach, but he has been at a lot of places. Was at North Dakota State on a his first year when they went undefeated, won the FCS National Championship. He's got Big Ten experience. He was at Rutgers um, and obviously the last three years at Vanderbilt. So he certainly knows the position. My biggest question, honestly, Zach, is what is going to be different about the O-line and what they're asked to do? Because this is still Phil Longo's offensive system and a scheme that is likely predicated on kind of what Longo wants to do with his version of the air raid. So I, that's my biggest curiosity here is what's going to look different when Blazek is there, whether it's principles he teaches or something that may be larger. I guess that would kind of transition well into some storylines that are going to dominate spring ball. Mm -hmm. um, and I have three or four, but um, I think we should start with the offensive line because it is what does change there. And we don't have answers for these, right? These are, that's why it's a storyline. What What is it going to look like? Who's going to be in what spot? How does he view certain guys? Does he want to cross train guys like Joe Rudolph did? Like, can they are they going to they can play center? They can play right tackle. Can they play left tackle? Like, what exactly is this all going to to look like? Especially with you know new faces in, uh, and a lot of guys no longer here either, right? Like Nolan Rucci and Trey Wedig and Tanner Bordellini and Dylan Barrett, and you lose that many guys from your two deep. And uh, you're going to have some true freshmen in here. But I think th how that all plays out is one of the bigger storylines for me because they need to be better along the offensive line consistently, consistently and especially against the schedule that they're going to face. Right. I would certainly say the offense as a whole. But if I had to pick one position group specifically that I'm most interested in seeing, what does that look like? It's the offensive line for some of the reasons that you laid out. This is going to be the fourth position coach that group has had in four seasons. So that's a lot of change that makes it even more challenging for the players. But now this is year two of a new scheme, except that you've got a lot of different pieces in place. You do have four players who started in the bowl game who will be back. Jack Nelson who was left tackle. Obviously Joe Huber was left guard. Jake Renfro got his first start at center for Wisconsin and Riley Malman at right tackle. And we've talked before there, there could be some changes there. I mean, if they believe Joe Brunner is ready to play left guard, then Maybe Joe Huber slides over to, to right guard, and that's your top five. On the other hand, you've got a couple other guys who have been with the program, but like Brunner, haven't played a ton of snaps. You know, J.P. Benchwall could be in that mix. But you've got five true freshmen coming in, and you have James Durand, who took a redshirt year last year. That's six of the 13 scholarship offensive linemen for next season who have not played a college snap 
And then there's three more that have played sparingly. So some of those guys are going to have to contribute. Well, what does Blasek think of them? What does he view the position and the strengths for the returning guys? And what is this system and style actually going to look like? I, I know that, you know, when Strebig said one of his messages, one of Blazek's messages to him was they want to get back to that O-line you, but I don't even necessarily know what that means in this <laughs> offense other than just being dominant and blowing people up off the ball, but they're doing it in a different way. And so until we see that consistently, consistently, it's hard to know exactly what that looks like in this game, right? Yeah, it definitely does. I have, um, it's one of the things we're going to be watching for sure. <laughs> Another storyline for me, and obviously Tyler Van Dyke is a story and how it all, how he integrates himself into this offense. That said, I think quarterback progression behind him is something yeah. that I'm that is certainly going to stand out. Has Nick Evers made a jump? Have, you know where is Braden Locke in terms of what did that playing time do for him? Is he can he take that step? And you know, obviously, maybe Matoyer coming in, Matoyer coming in. What does he have? Uh, and is because it. People do this all the time, right? You get a you get a three, four star quarterback. Can they come can they come in and compete for a starting job right away? I don't envision that, but I would like to see where he looks against college competition when he should still be in high school, right? Those uh, the the quarterback progression is uh, specifically Nick Evers because we know how talented he is. I'm not I'm not I'm, I'm not going to make up my mind. I'm not going to sit here and say I know what he's going to be. Uh, I have a I have a leaning suspicion uh, of what his career looks like the rest of the way, but I'm going to at least let spring ball play out before, uh, you know, um, closing the door on that, that chapter of Wisconsin's uh, quarterback history. I don't know if, well, uh, if, I don't know if you feel the same way about this. It's just, uh, there is, there's some unknown there for sure. Yeah. It's interesting because Wisconsin, you would think is not going to continue to go the one year, yeah, you can call it a rental player if you want, I, however you want to describe it. A guy who's coming here for one year to be the starter. You can't do that every year. Now, they felt this was another unique situation, and I understand it. It makes sense. We knew they were going to have to go to the portal. Miles Burkett left. You would have four scholarship players. You don't have anybody with any playing experience outside of Braden Locke who had three and a half games. So it makes sense. But you're right, Zach. They've got to be able to develop these quarterbacks because at the end of this season, Tyler Van Dyke's going to move on. Braden Locke, Nick Evers, they're going to be redshirt juniors, so you still got a couple years out of them. Cole Cruz still in the program, and maybe retire has the potential to be your future, but I, I don't know. And that's part of why spring practice is going to be so intriguing. And it's also worth noting, if I'm not mistaken, this will be the largest group of early enrollees that Wisconsin has, I want to say, ever had. And I can confidently say that because this whole early enrollee thing was not what it was when I first started covering the team a decade ago. I think it's gotten um, it's had a greater emphasis placed on it. So there's going to be 10 players participating in spring practice that are true freshmen that should be in high school. And oftentimes that can set you up well for the next season. But how many reps is Mabry going to get? What exactly does he look like? I think that's all very important. And the Nick Evers situation is interesting because we know when he came last spring, he even acknowledged it when we spoke to him that he was not prepared for what he was going to be asked to do to lead this offense at that time. And we really haven't seen much of him since he throws a nice ball. He's extremely athletic, but how well has he learned the offense? How does he implement that? That's the spring ball is really the best opportunity. We'll have to see that. So they, they certainly need to start and well, I guess, continue developing these quarterbacks as they are going to be the future of this program. And Tyler Van Dyke is done. Yeah.
another one for me is the changing face of the defense. Not yes. necessarily in terms of playmakers, because obviously Hunter Wohler's back and Ricardo Hallman's back, but the front seven, specifically the linebacker spot, how much that has changed uh, this offseason. Now, again, we we didn't mention this to start off the show, but uh, Josiah Galvan has is not coming to Wisconsin anymore, the inside linebacker from Northern Iowa. He is now heading to Stanford instead. Obviously, what Wisconsin did in the portal, uh, <laughs> adding the numbers that they did at that position – I can kind of understand him not wanting to come here because uh, it would have been an upfield or an uphill climb to to find playing time right away. That's not to say that he couldn't do it eventually, but finding uh, playing time right away was going to be a, a huge problem because Jake Cheney and Tackett Curtis and Jaheim Thomas all right there, and even you know you can throw Sebastian Cheeks in there too, a guy who at least has played at the FBS level on a on a very small basis, but that was going to be an uphill climb for him. So, yeah, let's talk. Let's talk about yeah, it. I mean, I ahead. think that's that's certainly worthwhile. Like he committed was one of the earlier inside linebacker commits. They ended up recruiting right over him. And I don't th- I could this was not expected. Like, I don't think Wisconsin thought it was going to end up with Tackett Curtis. And as we discussed last week, Bobby April deserves a lot of credit for that because of all the trips he made to see Tackett and Tackett and, and Tackett and his family made three trips to Madison. So he had a really firm understanding of what Wisconsin was about once he entered the portal, even though he never visited any schools this time around. Well, once Tackett Curtis is on board, not only so you've got Tackett Curtis, you've got Sebastian Cheeks, and obviously they also have Jaheim Thomas, who led Arkansas in tackles this past season, but he's only got one year left. Tackett's got three years left, and <laughs> so so does Galvan. Well, who's going to play more snaps? I think you could confidently say Curtis was in a better position and may even be in a position to start this season. So they ended up recruiting right over Galvan, and you're a transfer, you're under no obligation to, um, you know, stick with the program you committed to because you're not on campus yet. The, the transfer situation is way different from, obviously, high school prospects who sign their name on the to, with their national letter of intent, and it just made sense. Galvan's looking for a place to play, and when he committed to Wisconsin, they had a certain idea and plan in mind and ended up with, with different guys. It's Look, it's kind of a brutal nature of the business, and it is a business, but you're always in search of the best players and who's going to give you the best opportunity to succeed. And sometimes it just happens like this. And I would say landing at Stanford of all places is uh, not the worst situation for a guy who was at Northern Iowa last season. And now we'll get to play under Bobby April. It is kind of funny though, like the the circular nature of it though, with missing out on Wisconsin, initially missing out on Tackett Curtis, he ends up at USC. Then he ends up back in the portal and you would think Stanford might be able to go after him, but I don't, you know, who knows it's it's not overly easy to get in Stanford, but it, it forces, and that's obviously where Bobby April is, who had such a huge hand in recruiting to Wisconsin. Tackett Curtis ends up in the portal, comes back to Wisconsin. Now all of a sudden, Josiah Galvan needs a place, and he ends up at Stanford, where Bobby April is. So, uh, Tech, I mean, Tech Curtis helping out Bobby April at the in, at the end of the day, helping him out here, a little <laughs> bit, right? Um, yeah, so I guess I hadn't really thought about that, but that one makes yeah. sense. And yeah. it's worth noting, Tackett, like and I, when I talked to Tackett's high school coach, he did talk to Bobby April, but I think Curtis was ready to get away from the West Coast. He liked Big right. Ten SEC style of play and obviously way more familiar with Wisconsin's program at that point than he was with Stanford. Yeah. So just back to the idea of the changing face of the defense, right? Like yes. you have those new inside linebackers, but you have also new outside linebackers. What exactly do you think this was going to look like? differently maybe than what we saw this past year for 
Mike Tressel, they obviously want to change things. They want it to yeah. be, they want to be more athletic. They want to be longer. They want, but I don't know exactly how that transitions into what they actually want to be on the field. I guess the best way for me to look at it is what Tressel tried to do and succeeded with at Cincinnati and how, I mean, obviously it's, it's not entirely the same. They had NFL dudes on the back end and that's not to say Wisconsin doesn't, but go look at that Cincinnati defense. There's a lot of guys in the league right now, but that idea of go back to this word, I don't want to use it every show. Like I feel like it's uh, dropping a coin in the swear jar, but that, that idea of length and athleticism is what they want. And that's, we saw it most to me of all the positions that got exposed. I guess there were a few, but inside linebacker. And we've talked about it before, or you had, you had hitters up the middle guys who were very physical, but if they got in situations where they needed to be more athletic and get out in space, they tended to struggle at times. And Wisconsin doesn't want that under Mike Dressel's defense. So they're trying to find that combination of guys who can do both. And the same thing on the edge with the edge guys that they got, obviously they got John Pius and Leon Lowry guys who, who have had success at the levels that they've been at can bring a little bit different dynamic, create more pressure off the edge, but be able to play in space and be physical. So I think that's what they want out of their linebackers. Now the proof is in the pudding. We can talk about it all off season and I'm sure we will, but you're going to have to go and execute on the field. And I don't exactly know what that looks like under Trestle. I think it's interesting too. We talk about what happened in year one under Phil Longo and, and Mike Trestle and, both those coaches did make changes over the course of the season, but neither of them had the exact personnel that they want. So it's fair to judge what they did in year one, but it's also sort of reasonable to leave the door open for it's not going to look like that in the future. At least it better not if they want to get to the level that they hope to get at, if that makes sense. It does. It does make sense. I'm also extremely still concerned about the defensive line. Very much and, so. Right. What? How? How do they work around that problem? I I don't know the answer to this beyond you've got to hope that the young guys you have are ready to contribute. And that's not to say you're not going to rely on the veterans. Um, I mean, in, in my way too early projected too deep, it's basically all veterans. Getting Elijah Hills is at least a good thing. They hadn't gotten any portal guys on the defensive line, certainly had tried. And Hills has had much like some of these other guys has had success at a lower level. I don't know whether he's going to start. I would certainly imagine he'll be in the two deep, but you've got a lot of young guys. Kurt Neal, we saw get more reps in the bowl game. Jamel Howard, we talked about a ton last season with a year in this system and also in the strength and conditioning program. Can he be ready to contribute? Ernest Willer and Dylan Johnson. They also got Hank Weber, but Johnson and Willer in particular, those two true freshmen, can they be ready to compete right away? I know the coaches hope that's a possibility. So I think you're going to need just much more help from guys who were not necessarily a part of the rotation last season because we saw what those guys were. And maybe that's not fair. I, I Maybe it's not because you're going to be asking more from some yeah. of these guys, presumably. TJ Bowlers, when I mean, he was an outside linebacker, he only played seven snaps on the defensive line in the bowl game. So if he's actually spending a full offseason on the defensive line, can he be more dynamic and explosive? I mean, he probably should have been playing defensive line all along. But Cade McDonald, we saw a little bit of. Ben Barton, we saw more of. We really haven't had a chance to see Mike Jarvis. So what they need are the guys who have been here to take a significant step forward and the guys who are coming in to be just way more ready to play than what they usually have young young guys at. Yeah. Again, if they can't stop the run like they didn't stop the run this year, I don't, I don't see how the defense can be... 
can take that step and be better. It can't. If they can't, it can't. They, right? It can't. So, and again, I'm not talking about 2021 level stopping the run. I'm talking about not allowing four or five different Big Ten teams to run for 200 yards against you, which is what happened this year. And so, I mean, that is, again, not asking, not not saying 60 yards a game or whatever it was in 2021, 70 yards, whatever it was, but to have to get shredded like they did a number of times against uh, uh, Big Ten teams, it just can't happen. It just can't happen if you're going to consistently win. And um, again, I know the offense, there's going to be a lot of different looking offenses coming in here next year with Oregon and Washington and USC and UCLA. But it, to win in this league, to win in college football in general, stopping the run is just paramount uh, because it forces teams to become obviously one dimensional. And then that's how you can get after the passer. And that's what Jim Leonard did so good, right? Did so well as, as a defensive coordinator, as, as a defensive mind. And, and, you know, Dave Aranda and, and Justin Wilcox are the same way. You're, you know, you stop the run on first and second down and make life hell on the quarterback on third down. And we didn't see that a ton from uh, Wisconsin this year. And so I'm not confident it's going to, not confident it's going to change uh, if, you know, there, there are going to be some new faces and, and maybe they're able to do some different things with the linebackers to, to make it more difficult to be blocked up. But um, I guess that's, that's certainly something to be determined. Other storylines that uh, you're looking out for, th- those are kind of my three that, that stood out to me. Well, I did my kind of nine questions. Wisconsin's got to answer this, this year. off season, to, right? To, right. Yeah. So I know that's not specific to spring practice, but just going through them. I mean, we talked about the quarterbacks as a whole, but I, I mean, it's it's Tyler Van Dyke. It's his show. <laughs> just like yeah. just like it was Tanner Mordecai's show last year. What is like? It's tough because I want to know what it looks like in spring ball, but also <laughs> how much does that matter? It matters. Tanner Mordecai looked great. And then the offense went out this season or last season and it wasn't great. So I'm going to try to be more, as I've said before, tempered in my expectations and what I'm seeing in spring practice. But obviously what Tyler Van Dyke does and how he figures out this offense and the personnel that he has, and I would throw in the wide receivers into this conversation too, because a lot of like the defensive line, they're going to be relying on guys who were here last year. So can can that group take a step forward and that's going to be really important in spring practice just to see what that looks like, but it also doesn't automatically guarantee success. No, it doesn't. The The, the other thing that you reminded me when you talk about how good they were in spring ball last year yeah. was it was the defensive backs who were getting burnt last year, right? Uh, well, but some more, of them weren't worth the program after spring ball. That's what I'm, that's what I was about to say. <laughs> uh, you know, you, we, we saw an Avion Jones and we saw, you know, and Curry lied and that that type of stuff, you know, getting beat on a regular basis. But it was also Jonas DeClone getting beat and, you know, Jason Arnold getting beat at times. And I'm extremely, extremely interested to see if those guys can take a jump in year two because we we know what they have in Ricardo Holman. We know uh, a little bit of what they have in Nizier Forkerine, but then it's the younger guys and Amari Snowden, DeClone, Jason Arnold. Um, and then, you know, bringing in the senior and or um, the transfer and RJ Delancey and where he's going to end up probably in the slot, like who else in the, who else can step into that slot spot and maybe challenge for playing time though. The, the, the young DBs, cause they have spent so much capital <laughs> and by capital, I mean scholarships on filling that cornerback room and what, how, what do they do? Michael Mack as well. Right. So there are so many names there that, 
I'm interested to see how how it plays out, whether they can take that jump and make that secondary much better than it certainly was uh, against LSU. And again, LSU is just a different animal. There was no pass rush whatsoever. Um, A lot of things were going against them in that game. But can they take that jump? That that to me would be be another one. That's a good one. I think spring ball is always interesting because it can be a precursor of things to come. And it also, it can also mean absolutely nothing. And you and I have talked about this on multiple occasions. Some of the MVPs of spring ball, Aaron Cruikshank was just burning everybody because <laughs> Danny Davis and crew weren't healthy enough. And obviously it didn't work out for him from a wide receiver standpoint at Wisconsin was a great returner. But last spring, I think of Ricardo Holman after the really hard season that he had in 2022, he was dominant in spring ball. He had six interceptions, I think, in a two-practice span. So sometimes you think, ah, oh, does it really mean anything? And other times you see what a guy did and it translates to the actual season. He had a great year. So I think that's a really kind of worthwhile point to acknowledge when you're talking about some of the DBs. I would throw another topic on here, though. And when you mentioned Jonas Duclona, it, uh, it reminded me. I, I talked before about how there's going to be 10 true freshmen early in release. That to me is a major storyline of spring ball. That's a ton of dudes and mm-hmm. not all of them are going to play this season, but some of them might and spring ball can be huge for them. Cause you're going to get reps that you, you were probably not going to get in fall camp. Maybe you get them in the first week or two, but after that you're closing things down and getting ready for a game. How many of these guys can be factors this season? We mentioned maybe Matire, Grant Stack, who's a tight end that I'm I'm excited to see 6'6", 247 pounds. Thomas Heiberger, the outside linebacker, who I don't know if he's physically ready right away, but they had a lot of praise for him. Rob Booker II is the other tight end who's going to be here. Kyanberry Johnson, the only wide receiver commit that they have uh, in the 2024 high school class. And then they've got a couple of the offensive linemen and Kevin Haywood, Colin Coverley, Anello Lefele, the other edge guy, Landon Gothier. And the other one that I haven't mentioned is running back Gideon Atuka, a guy who I'm going to be writing a story on here for this week. I'm really interested to see how he fits in because we spent a lot of time talking about the other two guys, Dylan Jones, Darion Dupree, rightfully so, how their skill sets are much more versatile. Atuka is 5'10", 230. He is a bruising tailback. He put up massive numbers this season, and he's the only one of those three guys who's going to be an early enrollee. And I know they got to Wee Walker from Oklahoma, but like, can he work his way into a number three spot? I, I don't know. That's certainly part of why he's enrolling early. But that to me is always really exciting about spring ball. And when you've got this many guys who are going to be true freshman early enrollees, I think it opens the door for the possibility of some of these guys potentially breaking through. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, they, there are certain spots that I feel like they have a chance more so than others. There's yes. right, definitely right. So, um, but th- they need the office lineman <laughs> because numbers wise in, yeah. in the spring, not ideal. Um, <laughs> They're gonna. I think they're gonna end up with thirteen when they get to fall camp, but they may be down to ten scholarship guys come spring. So we'll uh, we'll see how that plays out. One more thing, Jesse. Uh, they haven't made a decision yet, but Iowa is still looking for an offensive coordinator. Paul Chris, obviously former Wisconsin coach, has been talked about as a possibility. Report this uh, this week that he's not going to be there going there. He's staying at Texas. Do you think he's ever going to be a coach or a coordinator again? I mean, he was in the running for a number of spots this this year as a as a head coach um did not get any of them obviously and now not taking a uh, if it was offered i don't know if it was offered or not but not going to iowa do you think he'll ever 
be a coach or coordinator at the college level again? I do. Um, to me, it feels more likely that it's a coordinator. I, the head coaching thing is just a, such a different animal as, as I've laid out and we've talked about on multiple occasions, especially the way it ended here at Wisconsin. It's, it's hard. I mean, if you're interviewing for a job, that's gotta be one of the first questions you're asking about is being the CEO of a program and being able to manage what, what NIL is becoming and having the recruiting department and speaking to groups, all those things. I think you really have to be able to do in this modern era of college football. If you're a coordinator, you're just in charge of running the offense and you got to go recruit certainly. But I think Paul is an effective recruiter. I think that maybe gets underrated just from an individual standpoint. Sure. You see what he's like when he's standing in front of reporters at the microphone, you're not going to be using many of those quotes in your stories, frankly, <laughs> but he's very good at connecting with people and with players. And when he was in a role where he went to recruit as an assistant coach, he did a very good job. Obviously, there's the story of Joe Thomas and the role that he played in that recruitment and helping to set up an actual plan of this is what it's going to look like if you want to be a thrower and you want to play football. So I do see that for him. I don't know ultimately what he wants, but when you see these opportunities come up and when he's involved and he's a potential finalist, to me, that certainly sounds like he's interested in it. I don't foresee him forever being in the role that he's in now as a an analyst or whatever his, his official title is. I think he will be an assistant again. I just... I'm, I don't know as much about the head coach. Um, that's not to say he can't do it. I just, it feels to me like the next step, it would make more sense to be a coordinator and see what you can do. Because when he was in that role, once upon a time, you know, he had great players, but he, he did a really good job with Wisconsin. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was 2012. I should say 2011. 2011. Yeah. Uh, so it's some things have changed in college football since then. They, right. They have, but if, you know, I'm just saying like, if that's all you have to focus on, then maybe he'd be better set up for success. Yeah, I guess we'll see. We'll see. Again, we're going to be down at Monks and Sun Prairie for Temple and Heilborn tomorrow. Going to be talking about realistic timetables to expect Wisconsin to reach the college football playoff. Also going to uh, jump into some grading of first-year coaches. Uh, CBS Sports uh, wasn't overly impressed, I think, and maybe some fans probably weren't either with Luke Fickle in year one. We'll talk about that again tomorrow night. Jesse, thank you very much. Thanks, Zach. All right, there he is, Jesse Temple from The Athletic. You've been listening to The Camp.